0: The uh-huh. Um, the main thing to remember is that it's super conversational so just like you said you may kind of answer something and that may spark another question in me Mm -hmm. and so I might throw that at you kind of thing Um, but the main thing is just to remember to try to answer like super practically so what you would consider just like a glossed-over answer you know like other people kind of want to know like how do I do that so I think if you can just keep that kind of on the forefront of your mind that would be really helpful and then as you're talking try not to to m- okay oh are you there hello oh hope oh, you muted again oh uh, i got the spinning wheel
1: of death oh gosh hold on weird <laughs> i'm gonna close all my tabs maybe that's it
0: <laughs> okay um The other main thing to remember is as you're talking and even more so as you're listening, like a lot of times whenever I'm talking, people will be moving or like touching things and that'll come up on the recording. So try to stay as still as you can and wherever your microphone is, especially if it's a headphone one, um, it'll scratch like on your clothes. And so um, make sure that that's not touching your clothes like as you're talking, Mm. because as you move, it'll scratch and stuff. I am assuming
1: my microphone is in my computer.
0: I think you sound really clear um okay. so i'm not hearing any kind of like scratching or anything like that so um i think you're great so the main okay. thing is just to kind of remember to be still, be still. um yeah be still um, um anything yeah
1: um if I say something stupid, like is this edited? I, w- I went back and listened to a few, and I was like, this seems like one take.
0: But yeah, I'm
1: paralyzed if I say something dumb.
0: So, <laughs> if you say something, um, I would just do a hard stop. Okay, and then restart your sentence, and that'll make it easier for me to go back in and undo. Exactly. Um, but most of it, like it's not edited, and so it's just very kind of like back and forth, um, super conversational kind of thing. Okay. And so, but you know. If If something needs to be taken out or, like, somebody rings your doorbell or dog barks, you know, something like that, um, then the best thing is just to kind of stop what you're saying and then make sure that you start again with the entire thought because I'll cut out that whole chunk. So,
1: Okay. I think it'll be fine, but I'm just like, what if I, like,
0: accidentally say something? Oh, no. I totally get that. (laughs) Um, Well, and I am constantly saying dumb things, so I get it.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, like (laughs) – <laughs> like something that might get me fired. Right. No. I don't no. anticipate saying anything like that. But, you know, like sometimes I get nervous.
0: Yeah. Um. <laughs> you are totally good. So, um, let's see. Do you have any other questions? I don't think so no okay all right well then I think we will get started we'll record for about 30 minutes but if it goes a little bit over then that's fine it's not a big deal um and so the main thing is just to kind of answer and we'll chat and then um I'll close this out at the end so okay all right here we go Hey friends! Welcome to another episode of At the Table. It's Jackie King, and we are talking women and leadership in the SBC. And today, I get to welcome my good friend Becca Stone King to the to the podcast. So, Becca, welcome! Hey, Jackie. How's Nashville today?
1: Um, it is beautiful today. It no longer
0: feels like armpit outside. I'm very thankful
1: for some cooler weather, and some sunshine. It's perfect.
0: Okay, um, let's go ahead and just put it on the record that Becca called Nashville armpit weather. Um, so I've never heard it described that way. You but know, hey,
1: like it's hot and it's kind of wet and terrible. <laughs>
0: All right, I love that. I think we can end the podcast right now. I mean, there's there's enough content there that it's good. (laughs) <laughs> well, Becca, I am really excited to have you on today. Um, you are the guru behind our Facebook group and all of the wonderful questions. I think you were one of the best question askers out yeah. there. So I commend you for that. Um, but a big cheerleader and champion for women in the SBC. So I am really excited to have you on and just share a little bit of your story and your experience as a woman leader. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Where'd you grow up? All the fun life story things and how you currently serve in the SBC?
1: Sure, well, I am an Atlanta girl born and raised, um, was born into a Christian family. um, And I say that this is the way my parents um, raised me and the way that they participated in the church was probably the very greatest example that they could have given to me um, just as a believer, but then also as somebody who now serves and leads in the SBC and in my local church. so my parents are always at the church, not in a legalistic or participation trophy kind of way, but um, they were there to serve the church. So my dad helped with sound and um, with building projects and planting flowers. And my mom would teach Sunday school or you know they were on committees and making decisions and loved our pastors very well and loved our neighbors very well, would go out and share their faith. They were always um, super involved and they brought my brother and I with them. So um, we were always, we were always a part of that. That was the example that was set for us. If you love the Lord, you serve the church. And mm-hmm. my mom is a nurse and my dad is an engineer. So like they were not ministers, you know, they were not uh, church professionals, I guess you would say. Um They just loved and served the church and really instilled that in my brother and I from a young age. Um, And even outside of the church, they were still loving God and loving neighbor. Um, We have um, a a large guest room in our house, and from time to time, we'd have different people who needed a place to live come and stay with us. And for a time, that even included some missionaries. So um, I was about five years old, and we had four young men who lived with us. Um, We call them the four boys. Even to this day, we refer to them as the four boys um, (laughs) who were in the Atlanta area for missions and church planting training. And um, I remember as a five year old, the four boys would be in our living room and it would be time for me to go to bed and I wouldn't want to leave. Um, but I would go and leave my door open. And if I scooted up to like the very edge, you know, of the bed, like near the edge, near the headboard, and just peeked a little bit, I could see down the hall and down the stairs and kind of like see the tops of their heads. Um, in the living room, and I would go to sleep every night listening to them talk theology and talk about the gospel. Oh, I love and that. Talk with my parents and talk with pastors. Um, so I, you know, went to sleep every night with with the Bible spoken over me from hmm. from afar. You know, and um, it was in one of those just nighttime falling asleep places that the Lord really began to work in my heart and to teach me about who He was and who I am and who I was as a sinner, and who Jesus was, and what Jesus did for me. And I remember as a kid knowing, okay, like, this is the truth. Like, I have sinned against a good and holy God, and the only hope for me is Jesus. But the thing that I struggled with is that everybody in my life who was talking about this was an adult. And I'm five, you know, so I, Mm -hmm. you know, I thought that this this Jesus thing, this gospel thing, this getting saved thing was something for adults. And so I just kind of sat on it for a while. Um, and now I know like what I was feeling is is the conviction of the Holy Spirit and him leading me to repentance and faith. But, um, you know, just as a kid, I just knew like something's not right. I know what the right answer is, but I don't feel like I can make that right answer. But eventually... Mm. Um, after a couple of weeks of, of back and forth with that, it was on a Sunday morning during an altar call. Um, my little shy, rule-following self hops out <laughs> of the pew and starts walking down the aisle. And I realized, like, I'm alone. And I turn and I look over my shoulder. And my mom is sitting there in the pew with her mouth agape. And my dad is, like, <laughs> elbowing her, like, go get our kid. Um and she comes rushing up behind me and she grabs my hand and I yank her hand because I'm going down the aisle and talking to the pastor. Uh-huh. Um, and my pastor was so good to receive us and to counsel me well. My church was very intentional to um, to teach me very well over the next few weeks and months. And my parents were as well um, very intentional to make sure that I understood what I was signing up for that um, I understood the decision that I was making. And so um, Easter Sunday of my kindergarten year, I was baptized and um, grew in my faith. Um, and that is just, it's evident, you know, I think about um, little little papers or things that I found from my childhood, because my mom kept everything as moms do. Um, you know, writing writing papers about my, you know, my favorite teacher is Jesus. You know, oh. I definitely, you know, Jesus juked my fourth grade teacher who gave us that assignment. Um, <laughs> my favorite teacher is the Lord. Um, and that's also was elementary school. when I, I got a, a love for writing. Um, I had a wonderful second grade teacher who um, read wonderful books to us and um, introduced us to poets and authors. And I realized that words were really fun. And I liked telling stories. And I liked writing. And, Um, I discovered I was really good at writing um, and I started writing a lot and that continued through you know my school years and um, the summer before I started high school so I was 13 turning 14 our youth group was invited to help um, at VBS so I was a part of a large church in the Atlanta area and we needed volunteers at recreation. So they sent all the students out to do that. And after that week, I realized like, I love kids. I love hanging out with kids. I love, you know, making kids feel safe and seen and special. Um, I love talking about Jesus with kids. And it was another one of those moments where I was like, I'm too young for this. You know, Mm -hmm. yeah, we got to help out at rec at VBS, but kids ministry was an adult thing. Um, and again, it was it was a few weeks of wrestling and I was sitting in a Sunday evening service and you know the pastor was doing an altar call and just as good SBC pastors do, just one more stanza just as I am, just one more. Um, <laughs> and I remember like hanging onto the pew in front of me so tightly, my hands hurt. Um, and my, I guess my thought was like if I hold on tight enough, like my body cannot leave the pew like I just need to stay here. Um, but I ended up going forward and saying like, I want to work with kids and I don't know what that looks like. Um, Mm -hmm. but again, my church was so wonderful to come alongside me and figure that out. Um, because I think I was one of the youngest people at the time to, um, ask to serve in a more permanent way. And so they put me through all the teacher training that they had all the adults do. And I started shadowing here and there and filling in for this role or that role. And then by my senior year of high school, I became the lead kindergarten Sunday school teacher, and my assistant teacher was somebody who was my mom's age, and so that's where I was again, you know, wrestling being really young, yeah. being the youngest person on teaching staff, but then also being a young person leading somebody who is my mom's age, like, how do I tell this lady what to do, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> how do I ask her to be here at this time, or to do this task, like, she's my mom, and so that really... Um, you know, taught me about how to lead different types of people and how to speak respectfully to people, but still like be the one in charge. Um, so I started learning those early leadership lessons even then. Um, yeah, I didn't love them then. I was terrified all the time, but now, you know, reflecting on that, I was like, oh yeah, like the Lord was teaching me these things even then. Um, and then, you know, just my love for, For kids and working with kids continued um, through college. I was an elementary education major, um, so I was working with kids as part of my school program, but I was also serving my church, working with kids, and then also started working with youth ministry at that time. And toward the end of my time in college was at a summer camp working with high school girls. I figured out that I really love working with high school girls as well. Um, And um, they would ask me some really hard questions Mm. about the Lord and about the Bible. And I would always be running back to my pastor or to the camp pastor or somebody, you know, to ask his opinion on this theological question. And I got convicted. Um, Like, I've been a believer at this point, you know, for 15 plus years and I do read my Bible and I serve the church, but you know, like I can know the Bible, right? Mm. <laughs> um, and we're made for, you know, church community and there's wisdom in community and we need to talk to each other and, and listen to one another. But like I'm as a believer, like I'm capable of knowing the Bible. And so you know, I started thinking like, do I need to go to seminary? Do I need to get some training here? And that really Jackie threw me for um a crazy like identity crisis yeah loop. yeah, um, because it was I was finishing college. Um, I had a degree. I, I had a career. Um, i I graduated right in the middle of the recession um in two thousand and eight and almost the entire state of Georgia was on hiring freeze for teachers, but I got hired. Like I had a job in my dream County. I was going to teach second grade. It was everything that I wanted. Like the Lord was so gracious, um, to allow me to have that. I don't need to go to seminary and get another degree and have another career. Like I already have that. Mm -hmm. Um, and also I was really just wrestling with, um, what I would do after that. You know, I recognized that, You know, my giftings and the things that I enjoyed were teaching and public Mm -hmm. speaking and writing. Um, And as a woman, I did not know where that fit. Because at that time, my only concept of like ministry was that of a pastor. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but I'm Baptist, like we don't have lady pastors. So like, yeah. I don't know, like, I don't know where I fit. Like I don't fit into this and my gifts don't fit into this and my gender doesn't fit into this. So like, I'm just not going to pursue this. And so I kind of just stuffed that in a box. I hadn't told anybody about it and it was just really easy to ignore for a while, but um, and so I went on and became a teacher and I loved it. And I, you know, set goals for myself and was achieving goals and on my way to achieving other ones. And I went um, home for Thanksgiving and was having breakfast with a college friend. And she excused herself from the table for a moment. And then she came back and she looked crazy. I was like, Stephanie, like, what happened while you were away? Why do you mm-hmm. look like that? And she said, Becca, I think God talked to me in the bathroom? And I said, what do you mean? You think God talked to you in the bathroom? And she said, I am supposed to ask you when you're going to go to seminary. And for me, as somebody who had never told anybody about seminary, I was like, oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe God did talk to you in the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> um, let's unpack that. Um, so she and I started chatting about seminary and I started researching schools. And like I knew nothing. Like I grew up in a one, like I said, a wonderful church, wonderful family. Um, but I knew nothing about the SBC and how it worked. I didn't know about seminaries and I didn't know about ministry and, or any, you know, it was just completely a whole new world when I started Mm -hmm. researching things. And like I said, like, I didn't want another degree. I didn't want another career. I just wanted to take language and theology (laughs) I wanted to know how to read my Bible better and teach it to people. Um, And so I ended up choosing Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and I declared MDiv in Women's Studies because the MDiv would let me take all the language and theology classes and Women's Studies because I'm a woman. That makes sense. (laughs) Um, And so I packed up my classroom at the end of that school year, and I moved to North Carolina for what I thought would maybe be two or three semesters. Spoiler alert, 10 years later, I'm still enrolled, but that's <laughs> another another Go, girl. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so I moved to North Carolina and um, joined a church staff as a children's minister while I was there and served on that staff for a few years and then ended up working for the seminary full-time for about seven years. Um, and then went with a church plant and um, oversaw the children's ministry in that church plant and Figured out how to to teach kids in a movie theater um, and to do children's <laughs> ministry out of a box, and and that's also where I started writing um, children's curriculum. Was in those in those churches, um, just seeing the needs that my kids had and and the things that they were curious about, the questions they were asking about when a when a 5-year-old asks you about the trinity for 3 or 4 weeks in a row you mm. have to figure out how to teach that 5-year-old about the trinity without also being a heretic <laughs> and so that really like that really sparked a love in me for um learning big theology but then learning how to communicate it well to young yeah. kids and yeah. that kind of catches us up to where we are today that's what that's where i am in um my doctoral work so and, you know, I finished that master's degree and I'm, I'm now finishing my doctor of education also at Southeastern. And um, so it's my area of research there. And
0: um, it's what I get to do every day in my job at Lifeway. Okay. Yes. So tell us a little bit, and I'm glad you said that you went ahead and finished that um, MDiv because I know some of our listeners are thinking, oh my gosh, it takes 10 years to get an MDiv. <laughs> no, um, but for some of us, yes. Um, <laughs> but you finished your MDiv and then you've been in your doctoral studies for a while. And then tell us a little bit about your current job and what you're serving in and then kind of... Like really, I mean, so much of your story I see in your job now and how God has like led that up to how you're able to use your gifts. So maybe kind of unpack that a little bit as well.
1: Yeah. So I, um, the very theological term for this is the big squish. Um, so I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just kidding. You didn't laugh there. now I feel very self-conscious. Um, but I call this the, the big squish and it took a long time for me to get to the squish. And what that is, is where the Lord, Took all the things that I love and squished them together. So it took a very long time mm, for yeah. all of that to to come together. And, you know, we talked about the MDiv. I actually ended up changing. I finished my MDiv core all except for Greek, which is ironic because I went to oh. study the languages. I took Hebrew and then I took Arabic um, because I switched from an MDiv to an MA. Um, In a missions focus I was going to go overseas and teach So, But I did my MDF core And I graduated um, with an
0: MA With way too many credit hours Um, And I would say Greek is probably easier Than um, (laughs) Hebrew
1: Man, I love love (laughs) languages so much, though. Um, But no, I was going to go to the Middle East and teach, but um, the Lord had other plans. But the squish is, you know, that love for missions that really did come out, you know, pretty quickly in my time at Southeastern. So that's part of the reason I switched degree programs. Um, And in particular, something that I really fell in love with as I was going through those missions classes um, was a course called Contextualization Theories. And contextualization, when it's done correctly, is just um, the missionary, you're not changing the message. You know, you don't change the scriptures, you don't change the gospel, Mm -hmm. um, but you just change how you say it to somebody um, so that they can access what you're saying and understand it. And so that really spoke to the teacher heart that I have, you know, um, when you're teaching a child, a concept, if, if you teach it to them and they don't understand, you don't just repeat yourself. You, you teach it in a different way, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, and so I really identified with that and really loved that. So that's why I started pursuing missions. I really was interested in how do I communicate the gospel to a diverse audience? Um, so I love, I love missions. I love, Um, differentiated instruction, I love communication, I love children, I love writing, I love teaching, like I love all of these things. And I thought that I had to like pick one and just pursue it. Um, But in my role at LifeWay, I get to do all of those things. Mm. Um, So I am the research specialist and content editor for Explored Bible for Kids. Um, And the main products I work on are our preschool and worship, preschool and kids worship materials. And so with that, I do get to write, and I get to teach. We're expositing Scripture um, in in the content that we're creating. So, Explore the Bible is a sixty six book study. So, we're taking kids through all of scripture Um, so that's also really fun for me to take you know crazy (laughs) difficult passages of scripture and figure out how to teach those passages to young people Um, so i love that the lord squished that together with you know my love like i said for writing and for teaching and for theology but then also for missions i get to work with the imb and with nam and learn missionary stories and learn about kids on the field and tell those stories um, in the content that I create. Um, we get to show videos and pictures and help kids learn about people all over the world and learn about different ways that they can live on mission too. And so it is, it is the big squish of everything that I love.
0: Mm. It's so cool to see all of those threads kind of come together in mm-hmm. your theological squish. Um, <laughs> very cool and very technical sounding. Yes, so. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I find really interesting and we use explore the Bible at our church and, um, within our children's ministry and everything. And what I love about it is that it's not just taking kind of like flannel board Jesus, you know, and like the, the broad strokes of scripture, like it points it all together. I know, um, several, it might have even been a year ago, but y'all were working really hard on this like long timeline. Do you remember yeah. that and chatting oh. about that? Yes. Um, and I told Josh, I was like, okay, I'm using this in my women's Bible study. So, you are taking like the whole meta narrative of scripture and all of those like deep theological things. And what I love about it is you're offering it to kids, you know, like, and that contextualization that you're talking about. So, real quickly, I'm curious just for like practical terms. Um when we're talking about children's ministry, communicating the gospel to kids cuz whether we're parenting them or whether they're kids of women that we're ministering alongside, I mean we all have kids, right? Like that yeah. we're somehow influencing. So what would kind of be maybe two or three like nuggets for how to contextualize our kids or the kids that are in our lives? How would you share the gospel with them? Maybe like I know this is throwing out of left field, but uh,
1: So, I mean, I think um Okay, so I'm going to answer your question kind of in a a roundabout way. So something that I was challenged to do in my undergrad. So when I was studying to be a classroom teacher, um, one of my professors said something like, "What do you teach?" You know, they asked the the question, "What do you teach?" And people said, "Oh, I teach second grade," or "I teach history," or "I teach," da da da. And they were like, "No, you teach children." Mm -hmm. Um, And so that really like started to reframe how I thought about teaching that yes, I do communicate content to people, but I, I teach people. Um, mm-hmm. And so when it comes to like sharing the gospel or teaching biblical truth or talking about theology with a kid, I think it's important um, to know your audience. So, um, you know, what what is your kid like? What does your kid already understand? Um, what, what prior knowledge do they bring to the table? Um, and then kind of using those... Um, touchstones as, as ways to launch into a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, something that one of my Sunday school, te- Sunday school kids, uh, so I teach first and second grade Sunday school, one of the things one of my kids recently noticed as we were moving away from the table uh, for our, our arrival activity and over to the floor space where we play a game, she said, Miss Becca, all of the games you play with us go with the Bible story somehow was <laughs> like, you're on to me, little one. So um, just even thinking about, like, the games you play or the conversations you have, um, those naturally kind of occurring things,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, how can you use those along with your knowledge of what your kids already know as launching pads? So looking yeah. for those, like, natural, teachable moments um, that come up in your daily life. You know, maybe you're disciplining a child. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily i don't think you know you want to tie together um, the bible with you know getting in trouble all the time mm-hmm. you, know, you don't want to yeah. create negative connotations word. there yeah. but you know if if the opportunity is ripe you know you can you can talk about you know this is actually sin and this is this is what's going on here and sin has consequences and right now the consequence looks like you know you have to sit in time out or whatever your consequence is but you know it actually has bigger consequences um mm-hmm you know, if if that's a natural time to talk or, you know, perhaps you're in a, in a moment where you're, you're enacting forgiveness. Um, so that was something also for me as a classroom teacher, I never, um, and even in Sunday school, I don't like to offer consequences or punishment without also offering an opportunity for forgiveness and restoration.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and I, that's something that I like to talk with other teachers about is, you know, if a child, um, you know, makes a wrong choice and, and has to have a consequence in the classroom, um, you don't then ostracize that kid, you know, for the rest of class. And you don't make that kid feel like trash. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once once the consequence is paid, or once they make the choice to do the right thing and seek forgiveness or whatever the parameters are, once, once they make the choice to come back, um, that you welcome them back with open arms. You know, they're yeah. restored into a relationship with you and with the kids. And um, you can use that as an opportunity to display, like, this is what Jesus does for us. Um, this is what forgiveness and restoration is. You're part of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking, and that's not, like, way super practical, but just looking, I think, for those natural opportunities to weave in. Um, the gospel, I think, is um, it's, it's a lot more helpful than just sitting down and having a very formal presentation, even though I do think that there there is a time and place to sit down and have a full gospel presentation as well. Yeah
0: yeah well and honestly like that's how we learn as big people you know um, <laughs> I mean like so much of it is watching others and their forgiveness and extending forgiveness to us mm-hmm. you know um, and so and I love that y'all just help give really practical tools that are simple but they're big ideas you know like it's forgiveness is a hard thing um, and so and I think also just coming to the reality that our kids have big questions and so mm-hmm. if anything it should be for us us as big people, as adults mm-hmm. in their lives, that we're able to really kind of wrestle through, like, how would I answer that? And yeah. I think our tendency is just to kind of shrug it off, like, oh, well, I don't know. You know, you'll learn that when you're older, um, because a lot of the theme that I heard, even in your story, uh, was, well, this is for adults, you know? And yeah. so I so badly want the kids in our church, the kids in my home to know, like, you're doing theology right now, yes, um, and you're learning about God right now, yes. and it's, it's not like a future version of, like, when you get to be a grown-up Christian you know um and so i i think that's a really good encouragement for us
1: yeah no i i have a um a little boy in my class um and a key concept that kept coming up in our lessons over several weeks was god can do anything um that was the big like overarching main idea and eventually one day he asked like miss becca if god can do anything why doesn't he just kill satan and I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then another question very quickly after that. If God can do anything, can he put a baby in a man's tummy? Um, and just like a whole list of very curious questions. If God can do anything, da, 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 And then, di- you know, different questions. Could a bullet have killed Jesus? Um, or, you know, I can't think of, of any others right now, but just like all of these really big actually big theological questions that were just asked from a a curious child, um, that I think (laughs) can be very scary in the moment. And I remember, you know, talking to his family afterward and I was like, I need to write a letter to my theology professor (laughs) because, uh, my degree got a workout today. Um, but these big questions, you know, can throw us for a loop, but I totally agree with what you said. You know, we don't, um, need to just be like, oh, you can do this later. We'll figure this out later. But just sit with a kid and say, you know, well, what do we already know about the Lord? And let's take what we know about him and his character already and see if we can answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you don't have those answers. Well, where in the Bible can we look and sit down in the Bible and look together? Or even, you know, I think it's great to say, you know what? I don't know. Let's figure that out. You yeah. Know, cause that's another yeah. thing. Um For kids, I think it's important for them to know that adults don't know everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And for us to show that humility, like we don't know everything. And it's not even at that that point, not even a uh, a moment to be humble, but it's a moment to um, be in awe of our big, giant, massive God. Yeah. Um, so this isn't us being deficient, or we don't have the right answers, or we haven't studied enough, or we're not good teachers or good parents or good whatever. Like, no, we're going to learn about our big, infinite God for forever, ever. Um, let's start now. Let's do mm. this together
0: um, and mm-hmm. go on an exploration with your kids together. Yeah. Well, and this also makes me think of like women in my Bible studies that... You know, and I think I feel this even, you know, looking back on my own story in life in church, but like we weren't allowed to question um, and like doubt was considered a bad thing, you know? And so we almost have a lot of adults right now kind of processing through like, how do I approach this incredible disappointment in my life or this loss because they weren't ever... Allowed to question and really wrestle through some of the bigger things of God. You know, it was just, Mm -hmm. you need to believe this and be done. And so I love just the picture that we allow questions, we allow God to be big and that He is going to work and move not only in our lives, but in their hearts as well. And to where the goal isn't the answer, I think the goal is for them to know God and to know that they can take their questions to God, you know, like, and that we're not even supposed to be the answer for them. Um, And so hopefully we can be people that obviously like direct and help put boundaries in, you know, and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. um, I love even just what you're describing in your Sunday school class of just that environment of, I don't know, you know, like let's got, let's, let's ask God, let's search the scriptures. Let's see how big he is. And even if we don't come to like a finite answer, how big is our God, Mm -hmm. you know, and that is so much more freeing than you need to believe this and go on with your day, you know? So I love that. Love that. Okay, we are running out of time and I have so many questions. Okay, let's kind of end on this one. I'm curious. um, So you have really, I mean, from teenage years, even before that, like just this heart for the church and serving people and serving kids and leadership and taking the next step all the way on to doctoral work and working at Lifeway and explore the Bible. So I want to ask, like, what has been maybe one or two like big insecurities that you have had to face as a leader? leader and how did you face those?
1: Yeah. So I think, um, one that, I mean, has come up in my story over and over is, um, feeling young. I'm not that young anymore, but (laughs) feeling, um, just young and inadequate. And like, this is somebody else's time. This is for somebody else to do. Like, am I really the right person? Um, I don't know enough. And even gosh, coming into my, my role at Lifeway now, the, woman who had my role before me was, um, a scholar in the field of biblical archaeology and i'm a scholar in other things you know and just feeling like oh like i'm not like her like i don't know the same things that she knows and the, and the mm-hmm. things that are really um natural for her to know um and to to add to our content that we create because we we do focus a lot on archaeology and culture um she just knows all of this and like i don't even know where to start looking so just these um feelings of inadequacy and, um, like comparing myself to other people and like, really, like I'm the one you chose to be here. I'm the one mm-hmm. you hired. Um, and my very gracious leaders being like, yes, you're we, yes, we hired you. Um, so that's been, that's been a real thing, you know, to just, um, stop Comparing myself to other people, or stop comparing my timeline to other people's timelines, um, and just trusting that, like, the Lord is going to do what He's going to do and that He's going to equip us um, for what we need. You know, it was my first Sunday here in Nashville, the first um, church service I attended was. Um focused on the book of Exodus and Moses's call. And Moses was protesting, like, I'm not a good speaker. God, like, mm. why are you calling me? And God was mm-hmm. like, Moses, who made your mouth? <laughs> um, and that was a moment for me to be like, yeah, Becca, like, who made your mouth? Um, who made your hands? Who made your brain? Like, God is in control. So that's, that's probably a big one. And then um, the other one I really struggle with is perfectionism. And I don't mean mm-hmm. that in a... Like, oh my gosh, I'm so good at my job. It's perfect all the time. Like, it's that is not like a fake weakness. Like, that's a for real weakness um, is that I really struggle with um, feeling like everything has to be perfect, um, which as an editor is great. Like, that's our job is to make things as perfect as possible. Um, and then for us as stewards of God's word, like, we have to get it right. You know, mm-hmm. there's not room. Um, to be accidentally heretical like I, I need to very accurately communicate biblical truth um, that's part of my job in my role as content editor is to edit for biblical fidelity um, but I can almost get paralyzed when I, I think about those parts of my job and then when I think about um, the people who use my content you know when I think about the thousands of churches that use explore the bible represents maybe tens of thousands of teachers that i'm trying to equip Mm -hmm. represents maybe hundreds of thousands of children um and i'm accountable for the words that i share with them and that is a holy like h-o-l-y and w-h-o-l-l-y it is a Mm
0: -hmm.
1: holy terrifying thing i have to get this right um and so just walking that like razor thin fine line of um, wanting to do things with excellence, because this is this is what I this is the responsibility I've been given, um, but then not tipping over into like, anxious perfectionism and getting yeah. getting paralyzed
0: in, in the bigness and in the responsibility of of the role. So what is maybe, cause I think that's a good thing, especially for a lot of us. Um, so what is one like kind of practical thing that has helped you in that balance and that tension?
1: Ooh. Um, <laughs> I'm maybe still learning some of that. Um, I, but practically just for where I am in my own, like walk with the Lord and trying to understand my brain and how I work, um, it's just being honest Mm -hmm. Um, with the people around me Um, that's something that I used to be really afraid of letting my leaders know if I ever had questions or and not just that life way but like in general with bosses just being afraid of them seeing any kind of weakness in me and I'm mm-hmm. um, seeing any kind of lack or deficiency. But I've hit a like I've hit a wall. Like I'm I'm to a point where like I cannot <laughs> pretend anymore. So I'm gonna tell you um that I don't understand this or I have a question about this or I need your opinion here or hey I'm completely freaking out. Um I yeah. need I need some support. Um and so It's just been incredibly freeing to be um, in the role I'm in now with the leaders I have. And then with um, actually the boss I had at Southeastern before I moved here, um, Larry Lyon, Um, these incredible men and women who the Lord has given to me in the last few years um, as tremendous leaders who love me, Becca, Mm. the person, and who Mm -hmm. see me as their sister and want the best for me. And I can be honest with them and, and let them know, you know, when when things are difficult and they can come in and say either, hey, you're worried about nothing or, okay, like, this is a real thing. Like, how can we yeah. equip you? How can we yeah. resource you to, to get past this? So I think right now for me, honesty is, is the most practical way to
0: overcome those insecurities. I love that. What a good encouragement and charge for so many of us. And we do love you, Becca. We are cheering you on. You are doing such a great job. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for giving us some of your time and wisdom today. Um, And just thank you for joining us on the At The Table podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And ladies, again, I am so thankful that you've taken some time out of your week to listen in on the stories of women in the SBC. I hope that you're encouraged by Becca's story. And um, I will make sure to put her connection points in the show notes so that you can connect with her. And then also make sure that you hop over on Facebook and on our social media outlets because we are still taking registrations for women to come to the leadership forum that Lifeway is hosting. And so we want to make sure that you can grab a spot. There are limited spots available. So make sure that you hop online and RSVP. And we hope to see you next month in November. And then as always, next week, there will be another episode of At The Table. Y'all have a great week.